This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey up, it's the No Name Ever podcast, with your host, Jamie Smith. Hello and welcome to tonight's No Name Ever podcast, I'm Jamie Smith and my guests this evening are Adam Heap, James Bird and Ian Creamer. A defeat at Swansea to talk about um, mainly this evening, but we'll kick off with this week's NNN call. I thought we started really slowly today, um, actually. Uh, but once we grew into the game, we ended relatively strongly. Although there's still a lot of room, a lot of room for improvement. Um, I think we're struggling in areas such as midfield, where we again we were overrun uh, for pretty much the whole match. And then when we do get it forward into the the forward area, we're pretty toothless. Um, we're we're lacking that clinical edge. Uh, although we had quite a lot of possession in the second half today, we think it was only one shot on target, which um, well, we need to be having more at this level if we're if we're gonna if we're gonna break through and get those goals. Hopefully, the the theme of the match for starting slowly and going into it will be the theme of our season. Hopefully, after we've got a bit more use for pace of the league and maybe just a few little tactical um, approaches, brought a couple of players in, uh, we'll go into the Premier League just to put the pace and end up strongly and and, and survive at the end. I'm um, Liam. I just got back from Liberty Day with my son Joseph. First half was a bit overwhelming, especially down the flanks. Looked, that pace there was killer. Second half was much, much better. Djukovic looked, really handled himself well. There was a couple of chances they'd gone in. I think we were unlucky. Deserved at least a point out of that. Pretty encouraging, but maybe a bit of strength he needed. A couple of players at least. But that pace down the left and right from the opposition last two games, that's tough. So that was this week's NNN call. If you do want to ring in after the Manchester United game, our number is 01282-570-150. Just give us a ring and let us know what you thought about the game. That number again is 01282-570-150. So it was quite close at the weekend at the Liberty Stadium. Burnley not quite able to get their first points of the season, going down 1-0 to a Nathan Dyer goal in the first half. Ian, you were at the Liberty Stadium. What did you make of Burnley's performance? 
Um, I guess it was a, a tale of two halves in some ways. Um, I thought we looked absolutely shell-shocked for a little while in the first half. Um, the same old story, I'm afraid. Uh, a good passing team up against us and two very quick uh, mobile wingers. And um, they absolutely you know, kind of tore us apart, if I'm honest, uh, for at least kind of the first half an hour or so. They could have been three or four up. Uh, second half we came out uh, a bit like against Chelsea in a way. It looked like you know we had a, a bit of a talking to from Daesh, uh, but suddenly we looked like a different team. We looked uh, much more like the team from last season. Uh, we looked like we were much more composed. We had a bit more confidence about us. Um, you know, the midfield started to pass the ball. We started to find space. Didn't provide much of a threat on goal. And I think that would be my summary of the game, really. I think. Um, you know, as I say, Swansea very much on top first half, second half much more even game, came back into it. I just fear that we haven't got enough to frighten opposition teams. Uh, you know, there were clearly one or two chances from, from Ings and from Djukovic that, that uh, you know, we could have scored. But overall, as a as a match, that was my impression and certainly the impression of some of the Swansea fans I was walking away, which is, you know, you, you look decent second half. But, you know, at this level, you've got to put the chances away. Uh, and, you know, too slow across the pitch, I think, was uh, was the other kind of key observation. It's fine margins, isn't it? I mean, it's it's always going to be tough for Birmingham in the Premier League, I think. But for me, what we learned on, on Saturday was that when these chances come, you really do have to put them away, otherwise teams will punish you. Uh, James, if we can come to you, a lot of people saying that we deserved a result. Would you agree with that, or do you think we didn't quite do enough? Um, oh, well, I think second half, you know, we played well enough that if we could have had maybe a better final ball, uh, we, we should have got something. I'd, I'd say Djokovic obviously should score the header, and if he does, then, then yeah, we would have got something out of the game. Um, but I think really it is that final ball that's lacking. You know, there's times when we had quite a, you know, quite a good chunk of possession, and you just feel it was. Uh, you know, a better final ball that could be provided our season. Um, we would have had more chances and maybe more goals. That is a good point, isn't it? It's, we created some chances, but it's about quality of chance as well, isn't it? I mean, um, the Jukovic header, I think, was probably the best chance we got. And it it wasn't straightforward, but you've got to say, Premier League strikers are going to get them on target. And he did his best, but it just wasn't close enough. And I, I think that's pretty much sums up the whole game um, Adam you'll have had as good a view as any of us I suppose down under you get all the all the games on a nice TV option thing don't you so you'll have had a, yeah, red button. a good seat what did you make of Burnley's performance uh, first half pretty average second half much better got to be more clinical really sums it up I think um, Jokovic could have finished it twice maybe uh, I think it, it, the uh, the one sliding in at the back post wasn't really his fault. That was uh, took a deflection in a couple of seconds here or there. Either way, he might have nabbed that one in as well. But the uh, the header, really, that's got to go in if we've got to win that game. I, I still think we, we defended quite well for me. I mean, Ian said that the first half they could have had three or four. And I think that's fair. But again, Tom Heaton's not really made a particularly good save. I think Sigurdsson hit one straight at him early on and... Shackle cleared a, a bony header off the line, didn't he? While we were still feeling our way into the game, but 
Heaton didn't really have that much to do. Um, in terms of the goalie, and I'm not sure what your view was like, but I'm sure you've seen it since. Mm. Obviously, Heaton's left a little bit exposed with Dyer one-on-one, but should he have maybe done a little bit better with keeping the shot out at his near post? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he seemed to get a reasonably solid hand or arm onto it, um, but it clearly just you know bounced under him and sneaked in. You know, he was left horribly exposed, as you said. I think uh, I think Ben Mee looked like a rabbit in the headlights at times when they were running at him. Um, and, you know, has a bit of a habit of switching off, I think, occasionally. He just got completely taken apart for that goal. But, uh, you know, as I said, came back in the second half a bit. But, uh, yeah, probably could have done better. Um, but, you know, not too big a criticism of Heaton for it because he was left completely exposed one-on-one. And a guy in the centre as well that he could easily have passed the ball across to instead of shooting, so... Yeah, I was about to say, I think it's Boney, isn't he? Boney's yeah. in the six-yard box, and that's also why Michael Duff hasn't come across to meet Dyer, because he's worried about Boney, I think. Um, a couple of analysis I've read on the site pointed out that it was Shackle who stepped up to try and come to Sigurdsson, but Sigurdsson was far too deep for Shackle to be chasing him, and there's just too big a space for the pass to go in, and Mee's beating for pace, but I think the mistake is arguably even before Ben Mee. Um, James, you're quite well known for defending Tom Heaton. I suppose it, in a one-on-one situation, you're always back the striker, don't you? I didn't realise I was quite well known for defending Tom Heaton. <laughs> I thought you were. <laughs> uh, maybe Ree Grant. I'm not sure I've been a... I, I was once criticised for blaming Tom Heaton for letting the only know go. Uh, I was told it was ridiculous to expect him to save that. Um, Fair enough. Um, he should have saved it still. Um, yeah, I, I didn't actually see the goal at the time. I was only going because uh, I had a, an in, internet breakdown sort of thing. Um, so I was going strictly off the audio commentary. But um, yeah, seeing it again, he, he probably should do better. But I think like you said, when you get the striker one-on-one with the keeper, you do back him to, to finish it. I don't. I think we said this last week, didn't we? We don't want to get too critical of individuals, especially this early in the season. But Adam Ben Mee, I think if you look at all four goals we've conceded so far, Ben Mee is at fault at least partly for all of them. Is that going to be a concern for Sean Dyche at this stage? Oh well, you would think not with him having brought Stephen Ward in as cover, and maybe he might get his chance in the next few days. The, he's definitely the one at fault for the uh, the goal concede at Swansea. I'm not sure you can do much about the uh, the magnificent Fabregas pass uh, for Schürrle's goal in the Chelsea game, but uh, yeah, he, he's just looked like he's a little rough coming into the Premier League, and it might take him a few games to adjust. But I suspect if he doesn't get his act together quickly, he might find himself uh, on the bench at Stephen Ward's expense. It's unforgiving, isn't it, the Premier League? I mean, you make the set, yeah, the che- the second Chelsea goal. You're absolutely right. It's so well made. It's difficult to point fingers at anyone for that. But me has looked a little bit um, overawed. Maybe at times it just seems to be a little bit too much. But it is only two games in, and you don't want to be talking about dropping people this early, I suppose. But with Stephen Ward coming in, I suppose that is another option. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about the Sheffield Wednesday Cup game later. But I suppose Ward probably will come in for that one, wanting to give him a game. So it'll be interesting to see whether Ward keeps that place. Just on talking about dropping players, I think it was interesting when I think during the live box someone suggested dropping Heaton for conceding that goal. You have got to be careful because if you go about this one mistake and you drop sort of thing, we've not got a very big squad, so you could find it comes back round pretty quick. You lose confidence as well. The players, 
we played pretty much the same team, didn't we, for much of last season. When when everyone was available, we knew what team it was going to be. There was absolutely no shots in the lineup, and I'm sure Dice will want to do much the same this season. So you're right. If we start chopping and changing, if you drop Ben Me because he's made a mistake and put Ward in, what do you do if Ward then makes a mistake? Do you go to Lafferty? Do you put Ben Me in it? It starts to get a bit of a mess, and I think especially in goal, you're right. It's it's tough, and you you don't want to be rotating that position at all because you need the understanding throughout the team. I completely agree, Jamie, and and I think certainly with Heaton, um, you know, he's a good keeper, he's a good lad, and you know we need him to be in the squad and playing or in the team and playing well. Me worries me a little bit more because I think there's just that basic attribute of a lack of pace that I think will be exploited left, right, and centre, and so it's not necessarily just a mistake or a form issue. I think it's actually a basic attribute of him that is being going to be exposed by every team that's been that have been watching us in our first two games. That's what worries me more. One of the things you see in the Premier League as well, I think, rather than the Championship, I think team... It's difficult to know how to put this, but I think teams target the weaknesses better in the Premier League. Maybe in the Championship where you've got two games a week a lot of the time, you don't really have time to focus on these little specifics, but... Um, an example from, from this weekend, for example, Everton playing Arsenal. Roberto Martinez played Lukaku on the right, didn't he? Because um, when Everton beat Arsenal at the end of last season, he'd done that and Lukaku had Monreal on top, so he did it again and again he caused problems. So that's obviously going to be a weakness that Everton try and exploit against Arsenal. And you just wonder with Ben Mee, as you say, he does lack a little bit of pace. You wonder if other teams will try and try and um, spot that as a weakness in the Burnley side, so it's certainly one to keep an eye on. Um, Adam, to come back to you, just a, a word on Swansea. I wasn't expecting that much from them at the start of the season, but that's two wins in two for them. And I thought they were pretty good against us. We, they restricted us to only one shot on target, really, which considering all the pressure we had, they must have defended quite well. Yeah, I think I was rather impressed. Uh, I, I believe in my piece on the No No Never website regarding uh, teams to go down and predictions. I actually put Swansea in that bracket, and I would be based on their first two performances. They've got six points against uh, us and a, uh, admittedly, a flagging United side, but they look quite strong in the uh, in in the back. And it seems like um, Gary Monk's actually got them quite well organised. Um, as opposed to how they were under uh, Loudrop last season. So I think uh, they're, they're going to be a difficult squad for a lot of teams to beat, especially at the Liberty, of course. So uh, I don't think uh, there's a lot to panic about in, in putting up a strong second-half performance against them away. I don't know how much you'll, you've noticed this yourself, Ian, with being at the game, you're probably not focusing on the opposition that much, but for me, I thought Boney was absolutely outstanding. The strength he shows in possession and the awareness he's got as well. He just always seemed in control. I thought he was a real handful while he was on. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, as you say, the, the strength just shines through. My daughter was with me on the, for this match, and she just looked at him and said, my God, he just looks, he's built like a brick wall. And, you know, several players just ran into him. He was able, he created time and space for him just by his sheer upper body strength to be able to pull the ball down and, and play little passes off because nobody could get close to him. Absolute monster. Yeah, he's uh, he's a cracking cracking player. Wish we had somebody like him. It's uh, obvious to it. say. <laughs> me, I, I think most clubs in the league would probably wish they had a striker like Boney. 
yeah. we we spoke about this briefly on the podcast last weekend, James. But the three man in midfield thing again caused some problems for us in the first half. The the rotation from Swansea in possession, obviously they're known for keeping the ball anyway. But when they've got players like Sigurdsson and Shelby rotating through that midfield, it becomes quite difficult for Jones and Mane, doesn't it? But does the improved performance in the second half, when we were able to have more influence in the centre of the park and dominate the ball a bit more, is that an indication that we can actually use this formation and still get results? Yeah, I think it can work, but um, you know, there's certain teams you want to go play four four two against. You know, you're not going to go to Stamford Bridge. At least I hope we're not going to go to Stamford Bridge and play two and seven midfield because Chelsea could quite easily put nine, ten. Pastors, if we did that, um, and you know, obviously last time we came up, we played three in midfield, and I think that probably is the way to go in uh, in the Premier League. Excellent. Well, we'll, we'll move on um, shortly, but we also have spoken to Scott Mackay from the Swansea Way. I spoke to him earlier. I'm here now with Scott Mackay from the Swansea Way. Scott, an excellent start of the season for your team. Another victory. Um, you were under pressure a bit in the second half, though, weren't you? Ah, most definitely. I think anybody who thought we were going to roll Burnley over, I think, doesn't know anything about Burnley or Sean, Sean Dyche, definitely. You know, <laughs> um, you know like, I can't say I'm an authority on Burnley by any means, but I try and keep an eye on on most football. Um, and it, like most, being completely honest, like he, he most impressed me. So I'm on TV uh, at the end of the season. I think after you'd won promotion. Yeah. Um, he was he was talking with Gary Monk. They had them both on. And you know, just the way he was speaking, the, the way he was talking about things he'd done at the club, um, you know, it was always obvious we were going to have, a, we're never going to have it all our own way. Um, <coughs> oh, pardon me. Um, so you know, Gary Monk said he, he was perhaps a bit generous after the match. He said, uh, you know, we limited them one, to one shot, <coughs> one shot on target, which I thought was possibly putting a positive spin on things, should we say? Because I think Djokovic could have had a couple. Um, but yeah, so you know, it, it was always going to be a really difficult match. I think Burnley, you know, when you start against a team like Chelsea, especially given how Chelsea played, I think realistically, Dyche could have, and possibly even should have, just kind of written that off and said, like, you know, we've got to learn things from that game. But you're not going to play a team like Chelsea who can play like they did for that half an hour um, every week. And so, so you know, yeah, so you've got to look at you've got to look at teams like the Swans and think if we're going to pick up points anywhere away from home. Realistically, these are these are going to be our best chances. So you know, the second half definitely you could see they turned it on a lot more. We were a bit concerned during that second half. I think Monk was right, wasn't he? We only had that one shot on target, but the pressure was certainly telling at one point, and it, it did feel to me like a goal was going to come. We just didn't take our chances really. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's the difference. I think we've been um, quite lucky. I think the last two seasons, and that we've had Boney and we've had Michu the season before. And I think if you've got somebody who's going to score that many goals. You're more or less guaranteed to stay in the league, you know. Um, the season before, we had, you know, it took Danny Graham a while to start scoring, um, but he'd come from a system where they were playing two up top, and it was it took him a while to get used to that. But in fairness, once he started scoring, he was playing well, and then Sigurdsson came in, he scored loads of goals. Um, so, like you say, I think at, at this level, I think you know, and that, I mean, I'm sure this is something you're aware of. You know, you've been here before. It's it, it is the difference. I think being able to put the ball on the back of the net. Two wins for Swansea so far this season, of course, excellent win at Old Trafford as well to get things started. What are you expecting from this season? Is it going to be solid mid-table, pushing for a top-half finish, maybe? It's very hard to say, to be honest, because, I mean, I think we're very similar to yourselves. I mean, if, you know, for, through no fault of our own, you know, if massive bids came in for Boney and all our best players, 
um, you know, there is, you know, we are a club that we're realistic, you know, we we haven't got ideas above a station. Um, you know, players would leave if the right bids came in, um, you know, and I'm sure we would, to a point, retain money and go from there, you know, and, and, and look to build the club. And that being said, when you look at the squad we've got, I think now, you know, when, when you compare the, the team to the team that came up under Brendan Rodgers, I mean, Brendan Rodgers is a fantastic manager. He's, he's gone on to prove just how good he is. But we had Mark Gower, Joey Allen and Leon Britton in midfield. Um, Leon Britton is a player who's continued to confound, not critics necessarily, but, you know, he's, he's so underrated. You know, he's come up through the leagues. He wasn't a player that anybody outside sort of football hipsters have put any kind of weight in. Uh, Joey Allen, he's tiny. He was kind of underrated as well. And Mark Gower. And you look at our midfield now, we could put out a midfield of Leon Britton, who who is a bit more acclaimed now. John Joe Shelby, Key, Gilfie Sigurdsson. Um, you know, Jefferson Montero is an international. Dyer's improved a lot. Routledge has improved a lot. The overall calibre of our team is is so much better than, you know, I think year on year we've got so much better that I think realistically we should be targeting sort of anything between sort of 8th and 12th, really. Um, but like I said, it is so hard to say in this league, you know, and like realistically, the gap between the top sort of six, seven, eight and the rest of the teams is getting bigger and bigger. So I think there will be less points to play for if, you know, a couple of results go against you for a couple of weeks in a row and all of a sudden you're right back in it. Yeah, I mean, last season showed that in particular, didn't it? There were so many teams could have gone down. I think the, the teams that went were just the ones that were playing badly at the end of the season if the season would have been a month longer, it would have been a totally different set of teams. I wasn't expecting a lot from Swansea, I've got to say. I mean, um, Gary Monk, I suppose, is a bit of an, un, an unknown quantity to to a lot of other clubs just because he's he's come from nowhere, really. It was a bit of a surprise to take over, wasn't he? What, what do you make of Gary Monk's managerial capacity so far? Um, it's He's just going to... It's kind of... He's been there for so long. You know, the Swans, uh, my website's called the Swansea Way. We, we, there is a philosophy in terms of playing uh, a certain style of football. And I think Monk's been at the club now through various different incarnations of that, through Martinez when he first came in, then Paolo Sousa, uh, Brendan Rogers, obviously Michael Laudrup. Um, plus, I mean, Monk was uh, Southampton youth. So, you know, he's, he would have seen a lot of good youth players have come through Southampton system for a reason. So, you know, so he's going to have his own take on football. You know, he's, you know, an old school English traditional centre-back as well. So, you know, he's going to view things in a certain way. And I think you can already see that he is making a tackle. Um, like, you know, the one thing you can't say is that anybody kind of shirked any tackles, really, for Swansea in the second half against Burnley when the going did get a bit tough. Uh, people were putting their body on the line. And perhaps under Laudrup, you know, you couldn't really have said that about the Swans. Um, you know, people like Jonathan de Guzman, he, he didn't really like putting his foot in. Um, so, so yeah, so it's, I think realistically, it's kind of more of the same. And over time, you'll see Monk's stamp on the way we play football developing. And I think it'll, it'll take a while to see what, you know, what his style of playing a four-five-one or whatever formation he lines up. It will take a while to see exactly how that affects how we play. Um, but I think, you know, once he's had a bit of time to implement it, I'm, I'm sure it'll be the obvious or what he's changed and what he's doing differently. I'm just reading on your site now, actually, that you're apparently interested in Jack Cork, a player who was on loan at, at Burnley a couple of years ago now. I'd be very jealous if you can get him. I'd, I'd love to have him back at Burnley. But you, as you've already said, your midfield's already quite strong, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a weird one. Like, I, I still think we need another defensive midfielder. You know, like Britain's injured at the moment. And apart from Key. We haven't got anybody who even comes close to sort of filling that anchor role. Um, Tom Carroll's just come in on loan from Spurs. And the talk is, sort of local journalists speaking to Gary Monk, that we're in for a left back now and an attacking player. 
So it doesn't look disappointingly like we're going to be getting Cork or Benjamin Stambouli is the other one we've been linked with. Uh, um, Montpellier midfielder, I think, if memory serves correctly. So, you know, I still I do think we could do with another defensive midfielder. And I do think that. But at the same time, I'm more than, you know, if Monk's willing to back Tom Carroll and he thinks he's that good, um, you know, that, there's a reason why he's a Premier League manager and I'm not. And just finally, Scott, tell us a little bit about your website, the Swansea way. Um, yeah, it's uh, just a, sort of an independent blog about the Swans. I started about, going on about a year and a half ago now. Um, it's just sort of gone from strength to strength, really. I started, I used to post on forums a lot, and I find there's a lot of negativity on it. Um, and I just wanted to sort of create somewhere. I like talking about football. I don't like people <laughs> bickering and swearing and shouting at each other. And I think if you can't if you can't debate football without swearing at the other person nastily, then just don't bother. You know, like if you can't make a point and just revert to insults, <laughs> you know, like that's that's not my scene. So I thought I'd uh, start my own website. <laughs> Basically, you know, my ball, you're not playing, get away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's gone fairly well, you know. I won an award for it earlier on in the year, like best sports blog in Wales. I don't know how auspicious that is, but um, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, it's, it's going well, you know. Just bigger and better things, you know. We've got plenty of writers writing for the site now. Um, yeah, no, we've had a, sort of over a hundred thousand views now the last two months. So yeah, it's just you know, slow and steady. I think is probably the the, the best way of sort of you know, what I'm doing with it at the moment. Cracking. Well, good luck with the website and good luck for the rest of the season. I'm sure Swansea will have a fine campaign. So that was Scott Mackay from the Swansea Way. Burnley, next up then, Sheffield Wednesday on Tuesday night. Um, hopefully most of you are listening to this before the game, otherwise this this little section will be a little bit redundant and you can fast forward the next few minutes. Um, a cup game, I suppose, at this stage of the season, you can view it two ways, can't you? You can view it as a distraction from the league campaign, which is a bad thing, or you can view it as a distraction from the league campaign, which is a good thing. Um, Adam, which way do you think that's going to come down? Dash played quite a strong side, didn't he, in the Cups last season. Do you think we'll maybe see a bit more rotation? Yeah, I think especially with a lot of the uh, the squad players he's brought in over the summer and not having yet had a game, um, I think only Taylor maybe has really uh, broken into the side um, in displacement of any of last season's first 11. I think a, a, quite a few of them might get a game against Sheffield Wednesday, and we've got a pretty good record against the uh, the smaller teams uh, during the uh, early rounds of the Cup, so I think it'll be nice to uh, just get a, a win for some of them and uh, see if some of them can get some good performances and maybe break into this squad for the uh, the game against United. It's a good opportunity, isn't it? I mean, we've mentioned Ward. You'd expect probably Ward to play at left-back. Stephen Reid will probably make his debut as well as a couple of others. Maybe Kitely will get a start. So should be a good chance for people to, to make a good impression. Um, Ian, I suppose we can't take Sheffield Wednesday too lightly, though, can we? They've had a reasonable start to the season and we don't want to get dumped out and then be three defeats down at the start of the season. So we need to play a team that's going to be strong enough to win the game first and foremost, don't we? Yeah, you would think so, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, you know, kind of even as you were saying that, a small part of me was thinking, do we not really? You know, do we not really just want to focus completely on the Premier League this season? But I think you're right uh, on balance. I think, you know, just to to go out there get a victory, however convincing or otherwise, I think could be a good boost for the for the lads, particularly off the back of you know a fairly good second half performance. Uh, and it would be good to see people like Reed out there, uh, let that give them the opportunity to see what they can do. He, he looked pretty keen to get on on Saturday. He kept trotting up and down the line and uh, seemed seemed pretty enthusiastic to try and uh, and get his uh, his tracky top off and and get on the pitch. But uh, so it'd be good to see uh, what some of the players like that could do. I certainly hope the the new signings all get some game time. I think 
Marvin Sordell in particular is the one I'm hoping is in the starting lineup because we've only really seen a couple of minutes off the bench in both games, I think, from him. So Sordell's the one I'm hoping plays. James, how much rotation are you firstly expecting and how much, how many changes would you be looking to make if it was your decision? Um, I'm not expecting much, to be honest. Um, but if it was my decision, I'd probably change the whole side um, just because, obviously, I think there's bigger issues this season. Um, and it, it, the League Cup's just going to be a distraction. And if I was to concentrate on a cup, I'd, I'd say let's pick the FA Cup and leave the League Cup be. So would you even um, maybe play some of the younger lads? Stephen Hewitt's pretty much the only cover we've got in central midfield anyway. Would he get a game maybe? Yeah, definitely. I mean, throw uh, Stevie Hewitt in and, you know, maybe Dummigan as well. And, you know, let a few of the other lads just have a, have a run out and see what they've got to offer. In the state, isn't it? I mean, you get a lot of people when squad rotation comes up, they say, oh, the professional athletes, they should be able to play twice a week. But I think it, once you get in the Premier League, it's totally different, isn't it? Because the intensity is so much greater. And especially the, the two games we've played so far, we've spent quite a lot of the match just chasing the ball. So you don't want to be saying to players like um, Marnie and Jones, for example, you don't want to be saying to them, you just spent 90 minutes running after Swansea on Saturday. You're going to have to play again on Tuesday night. I think it makes sense for maybe those two to get the night off. But yeah, like we've already said, I think it is also important to maybe get a win under our belts. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about really whether the Premier League thing does make a difference. I think footballers are pretty mollycoddled and I think they should be able to play three or four times a week like people in other sports do. Um, for me, it is more just about keeping people focused on the next league game rather than Focus on something that's really not going to make a difference. Um, and you know, Sheffield Wednesday aren't the greatest championship side, but if you know any of these kids are going to be able to step in later in the season if we need them, like Stevie Hewitt, he's going to have to be able to play against at least the standard that Sheffield Wednesday are going to put on offer. This state, isn't it? Especially with the, the youngsters, you think if they're not going to get it game time in the the first round of the League Cup that we play in. Of course, some teams like Rovers are already out of the League Cup before we're even in it. But you wonder if these lads aren't going to get a game at this stage of the season, like you say, throwing them in for a key game if they're needed, it's going to be a really, really big leap. Um, Adam, if we come to you for a quick prediction on Sheffield Wednesday then before we move on. Uh, we are at home, aren't we? Yeah, we are at home. Yeah, yeah just making sure. <laughs> research, I I um, research. <laughs> um, uh, give, yeah, I think we've got a pretty strong record uh, at home, so I think we'll probably come away with a two-nil uh, win. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm with James. I think we should rotate quite a lot, but I don't think Dash will. I think it'll be quite a strong side, so I reckon it'll be a home win as well. What about you, James? Um, not sure. Uh, it's tough to say. I think our recent home record against Sheffield Wednesday has actually been distinctly average. It's a long time since we've beat them at home. Um, so I think it'll be a, a draw in normal time and it'll go all the way to penalties and we'll win. But, I mean, it could be a long night for some of the lads. What about you, Ian? And then finally on Sheffield Wednesday, what's your prediction? I'm going for a, a sneaky 1-0 win. Marvin Sorridale, 89 minutes. But, I mean, that'd be dramatic. I think a clean sheet <laughs> would be really handy, actually, especially if... If people like Shackle and me, who haven't started the season that well, if they're in the team and we get a clean sheet, I think that could be really useful. Just to let you know, the last time we did beat Sheffield Wednesday at home was uh, the 17th of October in 2000. And we've played them quite a few times since. So 
Blimey. Bit of a spoiler alert for James's previous encounters. Caught on that. <laughs> You'll know what's coming when that's on site um, tomorrow. If you're not going to be out the game on Tuesday night, by the way, we will have NNN Live up and running as usual, probably from about half past seven. Um, we'll have live updates as ever from the game, and that will be on Saturday as well. Remember, it's an early kickoff, 12.45, I think, and that one's live on BT Sport, but we will have all the updates on NNN Live for those who can't get to the television set. So Manchester United, there's the next league game, two games to preview tonight, of course. Um, and Manchester United Saturday, they've not started the season well, but I suppose Louis van Gaal hasn't got a magic wand, has he? It's going to be difficult for him to change things around very quickly, but I, I'm certainly surprised that they started this poorly, losing at home and then drawing away. I was expecting a little bit more from them. Um Adam, I suppose it's a big question really, but what what's the main issue at Manchester United? Why is it so difficult for them at the moment? Oh, who knows? Uh, whenever they seem to find one solution, someone else becomes a problem. Uh, in my opinion, it's the defence, and they're talking about bringing in Di Maria for uh, however many million. I think it's up to somewhere around 60 at the moment. But uh, when the likes of Ferdinand, Evra, and Vidic uh, all leave your back line in one transfer window and you don't bring in anyone to replace them. I think that's your problem right there with Tyler Blackett, uh, not particularly an uh, intimidating name in the, the, that defence. United's defence has been a problem for a while, I think, hasn't it? Ferdinand and Vidic were both fading a little bit last season. I suppose from a, a Burnley point of view, James, it's good to play them this early in the season when when they seem to be a bit all at sea. Yeah, I think they're, I think they're very, very, very beatable. Um, I actually think they're probably less of a challenge than Swansea at, at Swansea and obviously certainly less of a challenge than Chelsea. Uh, I, I had a debate on Twitter the other day with a, a United fan from America who thought they were just one signing away from being a title contender um, and I'm, I'm still think he was trying to pull my leg because I think they're five or six signings away. Sort of the whole back half of their team is just nowhere near good enough and I'm not even sure Wayne Rooney's good enough. Um, you know, to, to be a title-winning side. I mean, that's been the case for a few years now. So if you look at the last couple of titles they've won, they've had a really, they've had a really poor midfield. Um, and the defence, obviously, as Ferdinand got older, and the fact he could never really play two games in a week um, never helped. And, you know, he's not helped QPR's defence either, as yesterday they took an absolute battering by a not-amazing Spurs side on, on Sunday. Um, so I think you know it's the best time to to play them. I think United fans think Louis Van Gaal's got some sort of magic wand and he's going to fix all the problems, but um, it's definitely not the case if you you know look at how they play. And I think I saw Swansea fans say that uh, they thought we were a tougher game than than Man United were the week before. I suppose that everyone's always going to point out that it's only a year since they won the title, but. That was Sir Alex Ferguson getting every little inch of potential out of that squad. And you can blame Ferguson for leaving the squad in a little bit of a mess. You can blame the Glazers for not investing enough. What's quite clear is that I would say probably half of the Man United strongest team, even without the injuries that they've got, half of their strongest team I don't think is anywhere near the quality of a top four side. Like you said, you look at that last time they won the title under Ferguson. I mean, that was just clearly the Alex Ferguson effect because if you look at you know that 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 side compared to the City side and the Chelsea side in the same season 
they shouldn't have won it. They shouldn't have won it at all. They shouldn't have got close. The other teams were quite poor as well, like yeah. So there was a lot of factors, but yeah, when you look at the team, it doesn't really look like a title winning side, does it? I think a lot of that season was other teams' mistakes rather than the you know ruthlessness. Yeah, I mean you don't, but you've got to say as well, you don't win a league title by luck either. Um, Ian, it's as good a time as any to play Manchester United, isn't it? And he, you've got to say, even if they spend a lot of money this week, which by all accounts they're trying to, Di Maria's certainly seems to be one that's in progress. Um, even if he's in the tide on Saturday and the other Argentine, is it is it Rojo, the defender that they've signed? Even if these players are coming in, it's still going to be the same problems, isn't it? There's a lack of cohesion around Manchester United for me at the moment. Yeah, I agree. And and I think while you've still got players like Cleverly and Phil Jones and people like that, even though I think Jones had a half-decent uh, decent game at uh, the weekend, but... They're just not United quality players for me. They're certainly not top four players, as you said. And, you know, you just do a, a quick comparison about who um, you would have, um, you know, out of um, United, out of United's team that could go into Chelsea's team or City's team or Liverpool, etc. Then, you know, you just couldn't, um, you couldn't really see many of them fitting in there. So I think it's a good team. I mean, when I put um, uh, my, the, the, tweet together when um, United were playing Swansea and I said, you know, we've got two of our, our next three opponents here and, you know, uh, actually Swansea worry me more than United. Nothing's really changed, if I'm honest with you. Um, I think Swansea are, at the moment, probably a better side than United. So, yeah, this is the one that, um, you know, we really need to go hell for leather at, I think, and um, see if we can uh, sneak a point or maybe even three. A lot of people looked at the start of the season, didn't they? Certainly our fixtures and said the first three games... Anything we get from them is going to be a bonus, really. And we've talked about um, the top seven and the, the bottom 13 almost, and it's beating the teams around you that's going to be important. But it's the home form as well, and you don't want to be going into the international break. You don't want to be going into September with no points or just one point. So it'd be a really, really big boost for us to, to win that game. The confidence of beating Manchester United as well would be absolutely massive, even though they are probably a shell of Manchester United teams in the past. What was bizarre for me watching them yesterday was they've got Tyler Blackett playing, and I saw Blackett play for, for Birmingham against us at St Andrews in March, April, towards the end of the season. And he was absolutely abysmal. He didn't look anywhere near a championship player. And suddenly he's playing for Manchester United in the Premier League. It's absolutely bizarre. And something else I saw, apparently Wayne Rooney and Robin Van Persie only passed to each other once in the Sunderland game. This is meant to be a strike force that's actually going to be scary for teams to come up against. And there just doesn't seem to be any cohesion there at all. So, yeah, you would think another... Another packed crowd at Turf Moor, hopefully a, a loud atmosphere. You'd think we've got a good chance of getting something from that game. Um, just to touch on transfers, don't want to go into this in too much detail because there'll be podcasts after the transfer window have closed. Um, Adam, we'll just come back to you on Manchester United before we move on, actually. Um, yeah, just on uh, on Rooney and RVP in particular, uh, uh, I I think one of their main problems is that I don't think they can play Rooney, RVP and Mata in the same team together because they always seem to be taking up each other's spots. Uh, we saw a few occasions last season where uh, Rooney and RVP just did not work together well at all. I think they've both got ambitions to be the uh, number one uh, goal scorer for that, that club, but obviously not. they can't both do it at the same time. 
and uh, I, I think they're going to struggle just with both of their egos, to be honest, because I think uh, RVP, particularly uh, in the media, puts on a, a bit of a uh, smiley face. But there are some uh, some rumours of him behind the scenes not being a particularly nice fellow. And uh, I, I think this this team, I, I would be very surprised if uh, Daesh will go into this with an attitude of of nicking a point. I think this one is really one where we should look at taking all three as a, as a main goal because uh, this is a team that's right for the picking. Absolutely. I think looking at Man United coming to the turf now, we shouldn't be thinking this is a top side. We should be thinking this is a team that we can beat. Um, I did just point out, mention the atmosphere there. I know the away fans at Swansea were quite loud, but heard a lot of mixed things about the, the crowd for the Chelsea game. My dad said it was a really good atmosphere, but I've heard from some other people that it was quite disappointing. Ian, what's your take on the atmosphere situation? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I think the atmosphere of the Chelsea game was pretty disappointing, um, I think, overall. The one thing that pleased me, and it, it really followed on at Swansea, I think, um, was that the crowds really seemed to want to get behind the, the players. You know, at the end of the game, everybody stayed at Swansea, everybody gave them a standing ovation, Dash came over, all the players came over, you could tell they really appreciated what had happened. People weren't skulking off with the tails between the legs, there was a real sense that okay they've given everything they can let's really kind of get behind them and show that we appreciate what they're doing you know we understand the struggle that it is um so i just hope that we can bring that into the ground again uh against man united i think that would be uh you know be a huge boost for the team but i think i think they get it i think they the the players hopefully understand you know that the fans are behind them but i just wish we could work out this kind of you know there seem to be Lots of different groups starting up songs against Chelsea, but none of them really getting going. So it just seems to be spread all over the uh, Jebs Argus upper and lower, which really doesn't get an atmosphere going at all. You look at, I mean, Swansea was great, and you look at people like uh, Crystal Palace, and the boost that the atmosphere in grounds like that must give the team is absolutely huge. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but, you know, something needs to improve, I think, around the, the atmosphere if we are going to make Turf Moor into any kind of in inverted commas, fortress. There was there was some talk about trying to of sort of not so much copy Palace, but be inspired by what they've been able to build there in the last couple of years. And there was talk about having a singing section with some flag, flags and banners at Turf Moor. But um, from my point of view, it was just far too late in the summer to be starting to do that. People had bought season tickets and they were trying to get people to commit to move into this this singing section that they were going to put in a really unappealing part of the ground. It was it just seemed a bit late to be thinking about doing that, but I, I and, see what and you a mean bit about fast, to be honest, as well. I mean, yeah, I completely it's... agree. I don't think there was any real commitment to doing it. No, agreed. Yeah, but yeah, probably something to look at for for um, for future years. Hopefully, producing in the Premier League. I would point out as well, just on the atmosphere thing. Saturday is an early kickoff, isn't it? I think the atmosphere is always a little bit stilted for those. Teams maybe take a little bit while to get going in the early games as well. I don't know why it shouldn't make a difference, but it always seems to for some reason. The early games tend to be a bit slow, so hopefully that's not going to be the case. And hopefully we'll be able to take inspiration from the last time we played Man United at home when we beat them thanks to the Robbie Blake volley, which I'm sure will get plenty of airings on the big screen in the build-ups of that game. Yeah, we'll have NNN Live on again, by the way, for, for Manchester United. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, that'll be on from probably about quarter past 12, maybe half past 12 on Saturday, and we'll have all the chat and updates you could pos- possibly wish for 
from that Manchester United game. Just finally then, we are running out of time a little bit, but we've got a bit of time to touch on transfers. Um, Stephen Ward, we talked about a little bit in the last podcast, but he's the only signing for about a month now. Uh, And there was a little hint of some frustration, I thought, maybe from Sean Dyche in a Radio Anchor interview that he did last week. I'm not sure if, if you've all heard that interview, but there's a lot of chat online about it afterwards. Um, Adam, if we can come to you first, it's it's always going to be tough, isn't it? Because our budget is so small compared to other teams. But were you expecting maybe a little bit more activity? I've got to say, I was. Um, I think I think a certain Jamie Smith has actually written quite a good article, which expresses my opinion on oh, the No Name Ever website, which you, you can read much. right now. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I think that we've probably not done ourselves uh, justice in, in the transfer window this time. I think uh, look, at some point, if we do, if no one comes in, then we've left ourselves uh, uh, in a pretty, uh, uh, just a difficult situation, really. I mean, it's clear that the squad needs, um, particularly the spine of the squad, uh, needs some strengthening in the first 11. Um, we've done all right uh, building uh, some cover around it, but I think there's definitely uh, a central midfielder and someone to partner Shackle and, and Duff has been quite good, uh, particularly I mean against Diego Costa and Bonnie, who are two uh, excellent strikers. Uh, he's done a lot better than some people have uh, have predicted he might. But I think uh, there's definitely got to be um, some some better players brought in to fill that, those two central positions. I totally agree. And for me, like you say, I wrote in that piece that's on the site this week. It's you've just got to give us the best possible chance of staying up, and I don't think we've done that yet. What really brought it home for me, Ian, was the substitute the substitutions we made on Saturday at Swansea. We brought on Ross Wallace, Ashley Barnes and Marvin Sordell. And for me, they're just not players who are gonna make a positive impact when we're chasing a game. And for all the talk yeah. we've had about boosting the squad cover and adding numbers and adding quality in depth, it just seemed like it was still championship players who were coming on and it just yeah, made me I, I wonder. Mean... Of those three, sorry to interrupt, Jamie. Of those three, no I would say Ross Wallace probably had the biggest impact. In fairness, um, Ashley Barnes, I think, you know, apart from falling over a bit uh, and a bit obviously, doesn't seem to do too much. He had you know, a bit of a, a nice attempt at the end, and Sordell hasn't shown me anything yet that makes me think he's going to be a player that will improve our team. So yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I must admit. You know, despite the very positive performance, I I did walk off the ground at at Swansea and think, you know, I don't want this to turn into a repeat of of the last time we were in the Premiership. I don't want it to be one of those seasons where you know, even before halfway through, you start to feel a little bit downhearted um, because we just haven't invested in the kind of quality. And I really genuinely think three Premiership quality players fitting into that first team could make a huge difference and, and probably could make enough of a difference to, to have a competitive chance of staying up. I think if we keep the first 11 we've got now, despite strengthening the squad, we're done. I'm, I hate to say it, I hate to sound negative, but you know that isn't a, a premiership level first team. There's a few players in there that probably will cut it, but, but at the moment it's just not good enough. And you know I just hope and pray that you know having seen... The first couple of teams that you know the board are, are even more encouraged to to try and do the right things in terms of transfers. I agree with you, and like you say, it's two games in, so you don't want to be writing out off any chances yet. But for me, the the gaps in the side were 
were obvious before the start of the season, so the two defeats don't change that. They just highlight where where the deficiencies are, and it it just seems to me the case that a lot of the, the big targets, the the players that we really seem to be going hard after, we don't seem to have got any of those over the line. And it's been pointed out a few times on social media that the players that we've brought in, they're not really players that anyone's been competing for. I know we sort of stole Stephen Ward from under the noses of Brighton, but a lot of the others, you've got to say, they're pretty much cast-offs. And that might sound harsh, but where were the other clubs trying to take players like Sordell and Jukovic? I'm not sure there were any. Borough fans, and I like Jukovic so far, Borough fans were delighted to be rid of Lucas Jukovic. So that just shows what sort of market we're dealing with. James, I suppose at the end of the day, though, it comes down to finances, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's there's no beating about the bush. Uh, you know, we have a small budget compared to, you know, probably even the nearest club in terms of in terms of money to us. And you know, there seems to be this sort of belief that we got promoted, and the next day someone came out of a novelty Barclays chat that said Burnley Football Club got 120 million, and that was it. You know, we were swimming in cash. Yeah, yeah, um, buy, buy, yeah. And I think you know that's that's clearly not the reality. In fact. I think last time it was said that it was actually really difficult for the club because they were trying to pay out for the free season tickets, um, but they had absolutely no cash flow during the summer. Um, and that's always the way for football because, I mean, that's probably why people first started selling season tickets. So you actually could get through the summer. Um, but obviously everything nowadays is instalments, etc. But you still got to obviously factor in that £120 million is not one season's money. It's Five yeah, it's over, yeah, it's over four or five years, isn't it? Uh, and I think there's a lack of appreciation of, sort of just how much wages do take out of a club like ours. Um, you know, we're a very small budget for the championship, but our wage bill still would have been a, an absolutely massive proportion of our turnover. And if any other business outside of football was to have that kind of, um, you know, wage bill to the turnover, people would probably just say, you, you might as well fold now because it's not going to work out. Um, and that just shows you that football's not in the same world to to any other uh, sort of business. Um, but the main problem is, you know, you look at it now and you've got to think, well, if we spend the sort of the money people took out of Lansbury, I've seen all sorts of figures from sort of five to eight million. If you played eight million for Lansbury, that's putting a lot of sort of faith in the fact that he's going to make your team that much better that you've probably missed out on the opportunity to buy someone else who's going to be a good supporting player. Um, and, you know, Dash is a guy who believes in sort of stuff like Moneyball, etc., where it's about looking for people who can fill a role in your team rather than looking for someone who's, you know, going to be a star and a standout person. It's building it all by parts. Uh, and I think on our budget, that is the only way to, to do it. Uh, obviously, unfortunately, this summer there's been some ridiculous transfer fees put about, and that has really affected us. Um, in that, you know, how do you compete when people want 12 million for Dini? You know, obviously, uh, Monday we've seen Balotelli signed for Liverpool for 16 million, and on the other hand, you've got Watford saying that Dini's worth 12. Um, you know, I know if they, I know they're both bad boys, but one of them's a proven Premier League bad boy, and the other one's a proven Championship bad boy. I don't think there's a four million difference between the two. Yeah, well, you, you've obviously got factors like the English premium playing in there, and I think um, once you factor in Balotelli's wages compared to Dini's, that's obviously going to make a big difference. Just one point on the finances as well. 
Um, I read somewhere that our wage cap's going to be about £20,000 a week this season, which sounds about right if it was um, 15000 last time. But twenty grand a week, I'm sure we'll all agree, that's not a lot of money for a Premier League player, but it's actually a million pounds a year. You're talking about this £120 million, that's a million pound for one player for a year. So James is right, it can get eaten up quite quickly, but I'm certainly frustrated that deals haven't got over the line. Um, Adam, if we can bring you back in, the major targets, if we say players like Deeney, fair enough, priced out of him if we offered six and they want 12, obviously not much we can do there. Um, Craig Bryson signed a new contract, Henry Lansbury signed a new contract, James MacArthur, Wigan don't want to sell. Um, are we just going after the wrong players or does the budget not stretch far enough? Where do you think the problem is with getting these deals done? Oh, everyone's got an opinion on it, don't they? There's a few people shouting around that uh, the people might not want to come to Burnley, and which is potentially true. I mean, I'm not, you know, not particularly acquainted with the town itself. Probably one of the few fans who isn't uh, from from living very far away, obviously. But uh, but I suspect that uh, you know it's it's a very different proposition to uh, if if one of the Manchester or London clubs comes in for you and uh, you've got a bit of a different surrounding there. Um, but that should not uh, really. Uh, overwhelm the fact that we are offering Premier League football, uh, where, whereas Nottingham Forest and Derby this year are not, and uh, especially given that in the Championship, which is one of the most difficult leagues to get promoted from, as we all know, there is no guarantee that uh, Henry Lansbury or Craig Bryson will be playing Premier League football next season. Um, I think it's really it's just a, it's a combination of different factors that's leading the players not signing. Um, how much of it is down to the board is potentially uh, another question to ask. Um, but uh, but but something eventually. I think we're looking. We are looking at the right players because because Dyche clearly knows who he wants. Um, but he's just getting more and more frustrated that uh, whatever it is that's stopping them is stopping them. I think the problem as well is that the closer we get to the transfer window slamming shut, which is um, how it also always has to happen. I think the the more the prices are going to go up especially since it's quite well documented the, the areas that we short. Um, Craig Dawson is one we've talked about all summer and he's in the West Brom team at the moment because they've got injuries but you just wonder if that could have been done and dusted before even the start of the season. Um, it's difficult because the the board has got to get the balance, haven't they? They don't want to bet the ranch in inverted commas. They don't want to put the future of the club at risk but also they've got to give us the best possible chance of survival and, I agree with Ian. I don't think we've quite done that yet. I think Dawson we could probably get for about three million, maybe MacArthur five to six million. I don't think those deals should be beyond us. Um, James, I'll give you the the last word then on finances before we round off for this week's show. Yeah, I mean, I just just I think you're right. Those deals probably aren't beyond us. Maybe twelve million is a an amount we could spend. But I think actually the most concerning thing about this is the amount of fans who think that. You know, the border lining their pockets or something. And I think it, it seems to be these days a very thankless task to run a small club like Burnley. I mean, Benkies, for instance, are meant to have a fortune of about 500 million. Um, our richest owner is Mike Garlick, and he's only worth 55 million. So we're not even playing in the same ballpark as them down the road who are still languishing in the championship. And to say that, you know, people who give up their time and give up their money, uh, a line in their pockets, just, I don't think it sits very well with me. 
No, I agree, and especially when we're talking about people like Barry Kilby, you could argue there would be no Burnley Football Club without Barry Kilby, so I agree that that's harsh, but I also think it's it's just frustration from, from a lot of people who just want to see money invested in the team, really. That's that's all we what we all want, really. We want to see Burnley get the best possible chance of staying up, and you've got to say buying better players would be the way to do that. Um, that is true, but I mean, the amount of people who say that and... You know, it's it's probably easy to say when you're not in a position to to put that kind of money in. You know, if if I had a hundred million, I'd probably put some into Burnley, but I'd probably wouldn't tell anyone I was doing it because <laughs> the backlash seems to be not worth the effort. Yeah, that's true. I'm sure it's it's frustrating for the board members as well to read some of the stuff that gets written about them. Um, we could talk about the financial situation for hours and hours. I'm sure, but. There is an international break coming up, so we'll probably do a transfer window reaction slash finances special during the, the transfer window. Um, as I've mentioned, we'll have two NNN lives this, this week. Tuesday night against Sheffield Wednesday and then Saturday afternoon against Manchester United. Remember, that one's an early kickoff. That one's 12.45. So if you're not going to those two games, both of which are at Turf Moor, please do feel free to join us. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed today's show. Thanks as ever to our sponsors, Neville G. We couldn't do the site without them. My guests this evening have been James Bird, Adam Heap and Ian Creamer, but we'll round off with some predictions for the Manchester United game, which we didn't do earlier. Um, I think we're all going to be quite positive about this one, aren't we? We'll start with you, Ian. Uh, I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw. Oh, disappointment. Adam? Not that positive. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Adam? (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go for a repeat of the last scoreline we had against them, a, a 1-0 win for Burnley. What about you, James? I think we're really going to put the pressure on uh, Louis van Gaal with a 2-0 win. I think we're going to win as well. I'm going to go 2-1. So that is all we've got time for tonight. If you do have any feedback, please do get in touch. Our email address is podcast.nillnayneather.net or you can tweet us as well at nillnayneather.net. Net. Um, we're recording this on Monday night. We've hopefully just finished in time for kickoff for Monday night football, so we will leave it there for now. Thanks a lot for everyone who's listening, and we'll see you next week. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app at participating restaurants. 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.